0: Hello, my plant friends. I want to take a moment to talk to you guys about mushrooms. No, not that kind of mushrooms. I'm talking about reishi, chaga, shiitake, maitake, ergo, cordyceps, lion's mane, all these different mushrooms that have been used for thousands of years in Chinese herbal medicine. It is ancient wisdom that there are tons of health benefits to consuming mushrooms of all types and I recently started supplementing with this company called Real Mushrooms. If you haven't had the chance to listen to episode 38 featuring Jeff Chilton, I highly recommend it. He is the founder of this company and an ethnomycologist who's been studying mushrooms for a really long time. He really breaks it down for us. Another good resource for this information would be the movie Fantastic Fungi. Definitely recommend that. Or you can just click on one of the links in the description of every episode that will take you to articles that outline all the different health benefits of these mushroom supplements. Now I'm going to run through all the ones that I've actually been taking myself. So Real Mushrooms offers these hot water extracts that are made from the whole fruit body of these mushrooms and they come in both powder and capsule form. So I've been taking the five defenders in the capsule form and it's a blend of turkey tail, reishi, maitake, shiitake, and chaga. Now all of those mushrooms have been proven to boost the immune system. So Who couldn't benefit from having a boost in their immune system right now? Another one that I'm taking is the Mushroom D2Z, which is a blend of reishi and chaga, only it is infused with vitamin D and zinc. Now, the vast majority of the population is deficient in vitamin D, so what better way to get it than in these mushroom supplements that come with all these other health benefits? Another one that was recommended to me, but I'm taking in the powder form, is chaga. So chaga has been used to help improve issues with digestion. So if you have something like IBD, IBS, I highly recommend this. I've been taking it at night, mixing it with my sleepy time tea, and I've noticed a huge improvement in my digestion problems. So anytime I'm about to do a podcast, I take Lion's Mane or right before work. Lion's Mane has been proven to help with cognition. It is a nootropic that some studies suggest that may even be creating new neural pathways in your brain. So Anytime I think I'm going to have to use my brain a lot, I take the lion's mane. And the last one that I'm taking is cordyceps. So cordyceps are used by athletes for performance enhancement, and they're known to really help with endurance and boost your energy levels. So if you're feeling really low energy, start trying this cordyceps. I'm taking it every day, and my energy levels are way up. So that's all the ones that I'm taking myself personally that I can speak on. But there's testimonials for every single one on the website of Real Mushrooms, realmushrooms.com. If you're ready to pull the trigger and want to make a purchase and start supplementing these mushrooms, make sure to click on one of the links in the description of my episodes. Or you can go to the link in my bio on my Instagram and click the little button that says Real Mushrooms and it has a little mushroom emoji. Or you can use code IFPLANTSCOULDTALK at checkout and you'll get 10% off all future orders. However... If you're a first-time buyer, you can sign up to get a first-time buyer code of 25% off your first order. So definitely do that. It would help me out a lot if you guys use my link and use that code at checkout. So make sure to go check them out. Real mushrooms. This podcast is brought to you by Mezcala Nursery, located at 6901 Orange Avenue, Long Beach, California 90805. Mezcala is family-owned, family-ran since 2007. This is the House of Succulents Growing Grounds, you guys. I'm talking everything you can possibly imagine in the succulent realm, from your common everyday plants to more rare and obscure imports. They have all kinds of different cacti and euphorbias. They can service your landscaping needs. And they have a bunch of hoop houses dedicated to house plants. And I go to Sergio anytime I have to do a pop-up. Anytime I'm going to do a pop-up, I go to them and I keep my shop stocked by supporting Mezcala. They have everything you need in one place. Mezcala is also on Instagram, at Mezcala Nursery. They keep their stories updated daily of these plants that can come and go really quickly. You could miss it. Make sure to go show them some love. It's also very family-friendly and the customer service is on point. I'm there all the time. I bring my kids with me. They always have a great time. 6901 Orange Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90805, Mezcala Nursery. Welcome back, everyone, to If Plants Could Talk. This is Garrett. I'm your host. This conversation took place on September 14th. 2021 with my guest Jeff Chilton. Jeff is an author and ethnomycologist who has been studying and cultivating mushrooms since the 60s. He actually co-authored a book with Paul Stamets back in 1983 called The Mushroom Cultivator, a practical guide to growing mushrooms at home. And I recently purchased this book and have been studying it religiously and I cannot recommend it enough to those of us that are just getting started with our own mushroom grows. He's also the president of a company called Namex that specializes in mushroom extracts and the founder of a company called Real Mushrooms that offers all different kinds of mushroom supplements in the form of capsules and powder. Jeff did an excellent job outlining all these different mushroom types and their applications and health benefits. I was blown away by his presentation and incredibly honored that he was willing to come on and share this with us. I couldn't have found a better guest to bring this topic to the show. I hope you guys enjoy. Here's Jeff. Jeff Chilton, welcome to the show. Hey, Garrett. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor to have you on. Um, I really appreciate you being willing to do so. So Thank you. Uh, I'd like to preface this episode by saying uh, mushrooms have always been a big part of my life. I In my diet, I'm Filipino, and my girlfriend's Filipino-Chinese. She makes udon. We had udon last night, actually, for dinner. So I I eat tons of shiitake. I had some shiitake mushroom fries the other day, which I really enjoy. Oh, Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's a part of my diet. Uh, I've been supplementing, and I recently learned from listening to your interviews that perhaps I was uh, using some inferior products which, uh, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that. And uh, recently started subscribing to Real Mushrooms, and now I have a monthly supply coming. I've got the the Five Defenders, I've got the Reishi, and I've got the Chaga, which um, I've been taking now for a a handful of days. And I, I have to say, I've been feeling really good. I have digestion problems and this is anecdotal, but, in a, you know, whatever, but I, I feel better. I, I notice a difference in my digestion, which is incredible. Awesome, awesome.
1: <clears throat> you know, and, and interestingly enough, a lot of people don't know this about chaga, but chaga, one of the primary uses for it in um, Russia was for uh, the digestive system. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Chaga was, uh, that was kind of like one of the main things that they utilized it for. Now, it's actually a canker on a birch tree, correct? Indeed, it is. Yes, it's not, a, it's not a true fungus at all. It's not mycelium, it's not mushroom. It's just a manifestation of a fungal disease because that birch tree has been attacked by the fungus itself in a an notice. And so the birch tree is reacting to the fact that inside that trunk, the mycelium of the fungus is moving up, moving down, just moving right through it. And at certain points, that tree will react and push out, and this canker forms. And there's only about maybe, the only person that's ever measured it has, a scientist has said there's about 10% of mycelium in that Uh, part of the chaga that's underneath that black outer layer so it's not really much fungal matter there at all wow incredible yeah i know and 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 look can you imagine selling something oh we're going to sell you a nice canker (laughs) (laughs) yeah not going to work too well right so so people call it a mushroom and it gets kind of sold as a mushroom but no it's not a sclerotia it's not mycelium it's not a mushroom it's a canker okay but it is a fungus well, it's, it's a manifestation of a fungal disease. Okay, understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so and, and you know it's like, yeah, how do you how do you sort of like explain that to people in some ways? but that's what it is and and you know, look, Chaga is one of the most gnarly things you've ever seen, right? <laughs> it's, it's not like I'm going to go out and search for cool-looking mushrooms with a stem and a cap and all of that. No, it's that gnarly black growth that's on the outside of this tree, and you're just like, God, what is that? Sure,
0: yeah. So, could we start with some basics, and you know, maybe talk about some of your credentials, your studies, what brought you to the to the field of mycology? Is it ethnomycology or?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, I I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Washington state. Uh, It's called the evergreen state. The reason is that uh, we've got vast green forests. We've got lots of lakes and waters, but it rains a lot. Mm. Well, so we also have one of the best climates in the world for wild mushrooms. So it's a fabulous place for wild mushrooms. They were there growing up. I got to go out and uh, um, hunt for wild mushrooms, and then when I went to university at the University of Washington, uh, my field of study was actually anthropology. Okay, I was so interested in other cultures, mm-hmm. how they did things. I mean, look, in the '60s, there was a lot of pushback against the culture that was i mean you can imagine it was a very straight laced kind of culture so a lot of pushback and part of that was looking at how other cultures operated and what was going on and uh, i also took courses in mycology and that led me right into uh, the use of mushrooms in shamanic purposes like down in mexico and also the fact that that information was coming out about the use of mushrooms in prehistory back mm-hmm. in the in the middle East, back in, in, um, India and all these other places. And so it's just like, God, that is so interesting. So I put those together mm-hmm. and, and that's ethnomycology, which is essentially the study of mushrooms for food, for medicine and in shamanic, uh, uh purposes and so they didn't have a department of ethnomycology that was just me putting these two together sure uh and then once i i um uh, left university in 1971 i went to mexico and i was down there for a year and a half i lived in mexico for a year and a half and part of that was on the mushroom trail Mm. so i was down in mexico back up in the mountains um finding and talking to people about mushrooms taking mushrooms of course and and that was kind of like the the um, way that I kind of terminated my studies so to speak and then when I got back to the U.S. it's like who's got a job for somebody with a degree in anthropology sure yeah <laughs> <Nobody>. <laughs> so I thought man I would love to learn how to grow mushrooms that would be so interesting and cool. So I went to the only mushroom farm in Washington state in Olympia, Washington, got a job. I was there for the next 10 years, literally living with mushrooms. It was amazing. Beautiful.
0: So what originally drew you to that? Was it seeing them in habitat when you were younger?
1: Well, you know what? That's, that's interesting because you know there's a couple of things i would say one of which was i went to high school in phoenix arizona
0: okay
1: and and um so left the pacific northwest in 1960 down here i'm in arizona in a desert right Uh there's no mushrooms in arizona but (laughs) i i have friends while i'm down there while i'm like uh between junior and senior year, they go down to Mexico city to what's called the university of the Americas, which is a really cool summer school that they do. Mm -hmm. And my best friend comes back and I'm so jealous. I want to go down so bad, but I can't. Uh, Instead I'm working, you know, working for the summer. He's down. He comes back. He says, Oh man, it was amazing. And while I was there, actually I took these mushrooms. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> Tells me about this. And that was one of the things too, that just stuck in my mind because right at that point in time, sixty-four, sixty-five, small groups of us were starting to, you know, let's just say experiment with cannabis and then going into university where all of a sudden you've got cannabis, you've got LSD, you've got all sorts of things going on. Sure. So, that was a big spark for me. And yeah. that ultimately was like led me into the whole thing of like, okay, how are they using these mushrooms? And, and there's people writing books about it. And all of a sudden this information was coming out. Think about it for a second, especially with the psilocybe mushrooms is for at least 500 years, the, the use of psilocybe mushrooms in mexico for example or worldwide was pretty much just nobody nobody really knew about it at all sure and then a man called gordon wasson goes down to mexico with a myco french mycologist Mm -hmm. because they've heard about them Mm -hmm. being used back in the mountains by uh, indigenous people Mm -hmm. in this case the mazatecs and Zapotecs down in oaxaca and for five years during the rainy season, they go down. They collect all of these psilocybe mushrooms. They catalog them, and they actually um, take part in a couple of the ritual uh, and and ceremonies, Great. the the veladas they call them. Mm. Write about it, and 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 produce a lot of information about it. Which all of a sudden, my God. <laughs> They they tell the world, hey, this is still going on, and so you're like, okay, yeah, 500 years there, but much longer than that ultimately, mm. thousands of years. Let's just say from from A.D. 100 forward, all of that is being now kind of censored in a way. Sure. So so that information of psychoactive mushroom use. It's nowhere. We don't learn about it or anything until all of a sudden in the 50s and 60s, it emerges and people are just like, oh, wow, this is unbelievable. And you mean that these things are being used in not just religion, but in healing. And that's what they're using them for down in Mexico is the curanderas are using it for healing. Sure. They're using it in ceremonies. And, and the interesting part about that is, is they actually have the patient taking the mushrooms as well as the curandera sure and then she's trying to divine what is it what is uh, wrong with this person what is the illness how can how can we possibly treat them and this is a part of native healing down there yeah
0: now would a good example of, of somebody like that be maria sabina
1: well yes exactly she's the most famous one i mean maria sabina uh in uh Woutla down there. And that's who Gordon Wasson, one of his, in fact, his major contacts was Maria Sabina. And she's, she now is essentially in Mexico. She is considered a saint. She is very famous. And and what's really interesting is that, is that because of Wasson and because of that knowledge getting out, in 1967, um, there, were, there was a flood of gringos heading down to, to uh, Mexico, back up into the Mazatec area, looking not only for her, but for the mushrooms. I even had lots of friends that were going down there at the time because they were going down to Mexico and they'd go up there during the rainy season and get mushrooms. So the Mexican government actually sealed off the whole area. And and there's only a couple of roads going in there. Um, When Wasson went in in the 50s, you had to go in on horseback can you imagine that's how remote these areas you had to go in on horseback wow Uh, by the time the 60s rolled around they actually had a a dirt road that you could go in and vehicles could make it in Um, but anyway they they sealed it off the army went into the area they rounded up every single gringo and deported them all (laughs) and then for the next 10 years they had army checkpoints at all roads going in and they allowed no gringos in at Mm. that point so you literally had to sneak in if you wanted to get in and look can you imagine all of a sudden you've got like hundreds thousands of young people flooding into an area (laughs) and they're they're looking for mushrooms they're eating mushrooms they're walking around your neighborhood stoned yeah (laughs) and and it's not a cool thing right right Uh, and and the other thing that you have to remember that was going on in the 60s is there was a a number of books written by a man named carlos castaneda Mm -hmm. and he these he had met a a shaman a yaki shaman named don juan and so these stories were just fascinating And, and 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 it was very popular and so during that period anybody that was taking whether it be lsd or mushrooms or peyote or anything like that you have no guide yeah you have no mentor you are just moving in and it's unexplored territory Mm -hmm. i mean imagine that i mean unexplored territory we don't have like oh yeah we we're going to go to the the um uh, TP, and we've got uh, um, a fire circle that night, and everybody's going to come in, and it's all going to be well organized to where we can have a really high experience without any distractions. Sure, that was not going on in the 60s, all so it was really very different in, in, in that
0: sense. So, yeah. And now that's something that's becoming a little more prevalent, whether it be clinical settings or even shamanistic settings within the states. And we know so much today uh, because of your era, especially in all the studying that was done then. I mean, with the end of life therapy, with the depression, all these breakthroughs with psilocybin and, and other uh psychedelic substances which is amazing you know we're really headed on a great path I feel like
1: yes absolutely in fact we have practitioners now here in Canada that can get a license to to basically give psilocybin to their patients and these are mostly uh psychiatrists and psychologists and so forth so it's happening here in Canada in that way and it's great and you know also People are much more informed now about how to use them. And so there are groups all over North America that have come together and, and doing it in a, in a proper way. And look, I'm not opposed to the use for recreational purposes. I'm not. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, it's, it's like anything you should be informed about what the best way to do this is, you know, it's just like nobody informs anybody about how to drink alcohol, right? You just sort of pick it up from the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But a lot of people are misusing it. So really education, whether it be recreational or using it in, in a different kind of therapeutic setting It's really critical and important and and so so times have changed and and we are at a point now where where i i think we're moving absolutely in in the right direction and i'm just i've just got my fingers crossed that we can carry on like that and you know the door won't close again
0: yeah you're absolutely right and i can agree with you more I, i i wish there had been more education for somebody like me when i was growing up and uh you know, Now that we're rounding this corner, I, I find more and more people becoming interested, not only in the psychedelic mushrooms, but in these other mushrooms and these other psychedelic compounds. I mean, I myself participated in MAPS. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Rick Doblin. I, I'm actually in the MDMA study uh, for PTSD. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just finished. Wow, cool. I had my, my third medicine session just about a month ago, and I, I can't openly speak about what the results have been, but man, the results are published. You, you can see uh, oh, awesome! Yeah, so I I feel very blessed to have been able to participate in that, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to become of this with the clinics, and you know, and, and an opportunity like this is a a great way for regular day to day people to to hear about it from from a perspective of like yours, you know, a scientific perspective, even
1: where it's yeah, not so yeah. taboo, you know. Oh, oh, I know, I know, and and I was telling you earlier how look during the '60s and beyond. Uh, it was all illegal and it was made illegal. Cannabis was already illegal. Uh, mushrooms were made illegal, just like LSD was made made illegal. And so everybody who was uh, um, taking part in it were outlaws mm. and, and people were going to jail. And it was just really a travesty. Rather than going, okay, we we should educate. Instead, they came right up with a this scare ca- campaign. You know, mm-hmm. that was back in the reefer madness days and stuff like that. And that's one of the things that you always have to remember about governments and the people that rule us is fear is what they use in all sorts of ways to keep us in a certain lane and not be thinking outside of the lane or acting outside of the way they want us to act.
0: Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. So could you bring me back to when you were living amongst the mushrooms and uh, what that was like? And I, I know that you were cultivating quite a large quantity of mushrooms, correct?
1: <laughs> well, this was a very big mushroom farm. It was like 200 employees and and we every week we would put in approximately six new crops, okay? And every so so when you're growing mushroom commercially, especially large scale, you you have a cycle that everything's on. So, what that means is that we'll put in six new houses every week and we'll throw out six houses that are finished the cycle. And the cycle's a 90 day cycle. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine this for a minute we were producing every week 320 tons wow. of compost. <laughs> Oh, just compost. I mean, just compost, the big, which is the substrate for these mushrooms. Yeah. Three hundred and twenty tons of this stuff. I mean, we had compost piles that were literally six feet wide, six feet tall, and um, maybe about uh, oh two hundred feet long. Wow. And we had machines that would roll through those things and turn them because they have to be turned every every let's say three or four days, or else they will go anaerobic, and we want an aerobic composting. And and so it was a very big farm. We had a hundred harvesters. One of the things I tell people is is um, every mushroom you've ever eaten has been harvested by hand. Yes. Imagine that. Every single one, every one of these houses that we had, every crop was going to be producing about twenty thousand pounds of fresh mushrooms, wow. and, and that twenty thousand pounds probably was uh, a million mushrooms. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 what's going on on this mushroom farm is literally, people are there every single day, harvesting the mushrooms, it mushrooms, never sleep, (laughs) They keep (laughs) growing, we're giving them the best food they've ever eaten, we're giving them perfect conditions for growing. And so they just keep growing. And so you've got to get in there and harvest them every day, or else what happens is they mature. And then that mature mushroom is not worth as much as the button mushroom. And and the interesting thing about the button mushroom is the, and this is a Garica spice pores The reason it's a button is because it's got great shelf life. Mm. Okay. You can put that out there and it'll hold on the shelf for three, four five days. Fine. Um, and I tell people this sometimes too, they go, oh, yeah, okay. We've got the, that, uh, that button mushroom, and then we've got the portobello, and then we've got the cremini. And I say, yeah, that's right. The the portobello is just a button mushroom that they've allowed to mature Mm. to become a very, very big cap. And the cremini is nothing more than the agaricus, but it's just a different strain that they've developed with a brown cap. So they've got strains that are whites, they're off-whites, they're creams, they're browns, all three of those are the same species, Agaricus bisporus. Oh, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, especially with those portobellos, they've just allowed them, you know, they basically, like if you've got a mushroom bed and you have, um, let's just say a thousand small little uh, initial startings, if you allow them all to grow up, They'll all grow up to be a a certain size. But if you cut that back to only a hundred, you'll get now instead of a thousand of, let's say normal size, you'll get a hundred that are bigger because all of a sudden these hundred mushrooms have that much more food and then you allow them to mature and they grow up and they turn out to be these
0: platters. I mean, Mm. those, those portobello's are huge. Yes. Cool. So now you were studying uh, shiitake and other species as well at that time too, correct? Oh man, I was so lucky. I
1: we had a Japanese scientist there, Dr. Mm-hmm. Urayama, and he was our research and development uh, um, head, and he was growing shiitake. He was growing oyster and he was growing enoki mushrooms. And I was able to be a part of that. At this point in time there, I'm I'm like the the production manager. Mm -hmm. And and so I'm I'm feeding him, you know, people to work on his project and things like that. And so I'm watching all of this happen. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm learning how to grow other species of mushrooms. I was totally stoked on it. And not only that, think about it for a minute. Shiitake to me is the number one uh, edible mushroom. I love shiitake. I was eating fresh shiitake mushrooms in the 1970s <laughs> nobody else in north america had access to fresh shiitake and there it was on this farm that i'm working on i've got fresh shiitake and i'm just like man how lucky and and seeing how they're growing so part of being there it was just diving in as deeply as possible to how to grow all different species of mushrooms and and so um that ultimately led to uh writing the book the mushroom cultivator which um i have here yeah which was published in uh Nineteen eighty-three. Can you imagine? And it still sells five thousand copies today. It's wow, it's incredible. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and uh, uh, that book gives instructions for people at home to do small crops of of different edibles. We even have information in there to grow uh, cellosities as well. Yes. So a great book that kind of, you know, the thing about that book is like up to that point, people at home didn't know a lot about small crops of mushrooms. People growing psilospes were growing them in in mason jars and small things and and you know, would be growing in all sorts of weird ways. And that book really kind of opened it up and showed people how to grow them in a much more let's just say professional way or or in a way that professional cultivators sure. would do it rather than you know these other methods which
0: were which, which they worked but not really all that well yeah uh, Jeff, I have to say it's incredibly detailed. I mean, even down to uh, potential problems that you can run into. There's photographs of every different kind of mycelium and from every stage of life. I've learned so much just from reading it, honestly. I mean, I had no idea that mushrooms broke off from algae. And and it makes sense because I take an algae beta-glucan uh, cap- capsule and you get beta-glucans from mushrooms as well. Yes, correct? Yes, indeed. Indeed. That's right. That's right. Yes fascinating stuff
1: man. yeah yeah well i mean i mean that was that was um you know it was fun writing that book and we were growing all sorts of different mushrooms and using different substrates and and you know my 10 years of experience basically at the commercial mushroom farm was very important in making that happen so it was a it was a fun book to to write and you know it's funny because i just looked at it uh uh, yesterday and the day before, I don't look at it very often, right? But I look at it. Oh yeah, let me just take a look. I went, oh man, really? You put, oh wow, wow, this looks pretty good. <laughs>
0: Still holds up. Still holds
1: up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a great book for somebody wanting to just get into uh, small scale cultivation. And look, it's commercially when you're looking at growing mushrooms for food, it's not an easy proposition. Lots of small farms out there. And look, anybody who's doing it on a small scale is making about two fifty an hour. <laughs>
0: <'Cause>
1: <laughs> you have to get up to a certain level sure. before you can actually make any money. Because look, like I was telling you, mushrooms don't sleep. Yeah. You, not only that, when you're taking your product, your fresh mushrooms out to the market, they're like, okay, dude, that's great. I, I, um, thank you very much. And I'll see you next week, right? <laughs> you gotta, you, demand. You, yeah. You got, you got to have them out. Cause I'm giving you shelf space. You better bring them in or, or else, you know, no, it's not going to work for us. Yeah. So that's the thing. You have to have them on a schedule. You have to have them constantly cropping. That means you can't leave them alone. So mm. any small cultivator, I have so much respect for them because believe me, they are working like crazy and they have a day job of course too. Mm. And just to keep those mushrooms rolling uh, uh, until maybe they reach a certain scale where they can actually make a profit.
0: Yeah. Now, it even outlines how, how to build your own room, whether that be in a closet or in a pantry, which it's really helpful. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. really excited to, to dig deeper into that as I expand, because I'm using PF tech and I, I'm very novice you know just getting started and really learning and I'm excited to do the agar and and all those things so yeah this is a great contribution and how long did it take you to write to put this together I mean it's huge
1: (laughs) well I think I think we were working on it for about um, oh two years for sure uh, of work to put it all together and and you know get the photos and then you know get it off to production and all that i mean that that book actually it was interesting because um that's 1981 82 and uh, we actually had a computer then <laughs> a word was processor it <laughs> yeah it was a, it was a radio shack a TRS 80 if i remember correctly and and it was you know floppy disks and sure. all of that crap <laughs> I mean, otherwise it would have been, wow. Uh, so it was ultimately able to give that to the production people in a in a digital format and they were set up to do that. And one of the very first probably books out there that was actually done that way.
0: Wow, wow. So can you tell me about some of these, uh, what, what brought you to the supplement realm and uh, maybe some of the health benefits around some of these supplements?
1: Sure, well, you know, part of my studies at, at university and then while I was at the mushroom farm was learning about what, what medicinal mushrooms. Oh my God, that is really cool. I mean, I thought the only medicinal mushrooms were like psilocybes, but no, it's like, Oh wow. shiitake, uh, my reishi. God, it was just like fascinating. And, and look, I, I was telling you about the fact that, that um, being a mushroom grower, you're a babysitter you you're tied to that crop and and uh in the in the 80s after i left the mushroom farm uh, i tried it for a while having a small farm but i realized you know what this is just too much uh, and too difficult and i would have to borrow a lot of money to build up the whole thing and so i thought you know what medicinal mushrooms sound really interesting. And I'd love to get into that. In 1989, I went to an international conference on uh, mushrooms in China. And at that point in time, it was just like the whole world opened up to me. Mm. Because China is where it all started. Mm. That's where mushroom growing started. That's where mushrooms have been used as medicine for thousands of years, yes. traditional Chinese medicine. And so so, I was able to make contacts there. I, I traveled all throughout China during the 1990s. I went to farms, I went to research institutes, I went to conferences, I saw processors. And in 1989, that same year, I started my business, Namex, Hmm. which was a business to sell medicinal mushrooms into the supplement industry. And and look, Garrett, it's like no company in 1989 had a mushroom product in their supplement line. It's all green herbs, right? And even back then, it was very unsophisticated. It was like people, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to just grind up this particular herb and put it in capsules and put it out there. And so very simplistic, very unsophisticated. But there I am, I'm trying to convince these same people. Have you ever heard of reishi mushroom? Have you ever heard of medicinal mushrooms? No, nobody had. Mm -hmm. So there I am walking around a trade show in Los Angeles, Natural Foods Expo, trying to interest people in mushrooms. And they're just like, there's no demand nobody's nobody's looking for these things why should we put them out and mm. and so all through the 90s i was essentially trying to educate people sure about the benefits of medicinal mushrooms and and <clears throat> let me just start here on, on it because it's it's kind of interesting what is this organism that we call a mushroom mm. Well, in the supplement industry, one of the, one of the important things here is, is plant part. Yes. So, so if I'm putting out a supplement, if, if it's um, ginseng, it's the root. If it's ginkgo, it's the leaf. It could be an echinacea flower. So the plant part is super important because different parts of that plant have different amounts of the medicinal compounds. Mm-hmm. No different with what we would call a mushroom. So so the way this works is, is you know, and, and this is something that's so, so cool. It's like, how do you grow mushrooms? They don't have seeds. What am I <laughs> supposed to do? You know, it's like, how do I plant them? They don't have a seed. Well, okay, mushrooms have spores. We don't use spores as the seeds, but the spore in nature, it goes out. It's uh, onto the ground. It's in a piece of wood. And, and when conditions are right, the spore will germinate. It will germinate into a very fine filament called a hypha. When multiple of those filaments come together, they'll form a network. That network is called mycelium. Mm -hmm. We don't normally ever see the mycelium when we're walking around, right? I mean, it's like, you know how it is. You're walking, cruising along, and then all of a sudden you see a mushroom and going, damn, where'd that come from? Right. You know, it's like, what? It's not like a tree and it's like, oh yeah, the mushroom tree. I'm going to pick a mushroom, right? It's like, uh, where'd that come from? Well, there, that mycelium is embedded in its, in its substrate. And so there it is. It's underground. If you actually were to, to uh, pick the mushroom properly and pop it all out and look down where it came out, you can see there's a very sort of um, fuzzy whitish growth. Uh, And that's the mycelium looks like a mold, Mm -hmm. actually, and and molds are fungi. So, so you have this mycelium. and, And the cool thing about fungal mycelium is that it is one of nature's decomposers. It's out there breaking down all this organic matter. And if it wasn't out there helping that organic matter to break down, we would be up to here in, in leaves in branches in, in plants that are our uh, annual plants. So it's part of that cycle along with bacteria and bugs and all sorts of things to break all that down. Mm-hmm. When conditions are right, that mycelial network, uh, which has, has built up reserves of energy while it's consuming all of this, up pops a mushroom, hmm. and and that mushroom will go through its uh, um, different stages from uh, a, just a tiny what we call a pinhead to a button, then to kind of start to mature until the stems up, the cap opens up underneath of the gills, out come the spores. That completes the life cycle.
0: The gills. So <laughs> what's that? The gills. I'm fascinated by the fact that they have gills. <laughs> the gills. Sorry, continue. <laughs>
1: gills yeah that's kind of cool is not it and and if you look at that it's like wow all of these they're kind of plate like in the sense of okay they've got a lot of surface area and they billions of spores come out of one mushroom wow billions in fact in china today they actually gather the spores of reishi mushrooms and they collect them in the reishi farms and one mushroom can produce as much as 400 grams. That's almost a pound of spores from one mushroom. It is insane. (laughs) So, so at any rate, the, the, the idea here is that we have three plant parts. We have spore, we have mycelium, we have mushrooms. So when we're talking, uh, what we call mushrooms, well, that's one plant part of this fungal organism and that's important because when it comes to supplements ultimately okay what is your supplement made of is it made of a genuine mushroom or is it mycelium is it spore because all of these have been utilized in the supplement industry of course mycelium until very recently uh uh, it was never used in traditional Chinese medicine for one. What mm. do you do? You go out there you're digging up, you know, mycelium and trying to separate all of the, the dirt from it and all that. No, no, you can't right. do that. You know, you can't do that. So once so mushrooms, the mushroom itself has been used in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years, and and the way they normally use it is in a in a, a water extract that that's traditional chinese medicine mm-hmm. water extracts they're just like here's your here's your little bag of herbs throw it into the pot boil it up drink it if you can without choking on it <laughs> you know it's like ha, ha, have you ever have you ever actually tasted a reishi mushroom yes
0: in the in the tea form
1: <laughs> it's bitter yeah it's very, very bitter. Um, so so um, at any rate, that's what we will do is we will actually produce extracts mm-hmm. of the mushrooms that we grow and we, we just grow the mushroom. But again, the way that process works is, you know, I, earlier I said, well, what do you use as your seed for mushrooms? Well, interestingly enough, what's used for seed is live mycelium. Mm. Yeah, it's really cool. They use live mycelium. But the way they do that is they will sterilize something, and, and that could be a grain or it could be sawdust, but they sterilize something that that acts as a carrier for that mycelium. So mm-hmm. that just think about it. You've got a, a, a gallon jar of, of sterilized grain covered with mycelium. When you want to plant your mushroom substrate, which let's just say in a, the compost, like on the agaricus farm. Well, now we, in that jar, we've got a couple thousand different grains with mycelium. So you can think of almost every grain as being like a seed. Okay. So we can, we can mix up all of that compost with all of these grains. And then when we put that bed in for incubation, each one of those grains, the mycelium grows off of it. They all come together and they colonize that substrate. So, that's what we would call mushroom spawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and um, but here, here's one of the things that happens in in um, the supplement market, which is insane, is that companies out there produce this mushroom spawn mm-hmm. or or what I call myceliated grain,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they grow the mycelium on it. And then they will <clears throat> dry it, grind it to a powder, grain and all. And they've been selling this stuff as mushroom. Mm. And they've been doing that for 15 years now. Mm. And, and, and when you test that, and, and, and um, the most important compound in mushrooms are beta-glucans. Mm-hmm. They're in the cell wall of mushrooms. 50% of the cell wall of a mushroom is made up of beta-glucans. Uh, mycelium beta glucans in the cell wall as well we can test products in 2015 using what's called the Megazyme test i tested 95 different samples 40 of which were products that were this myceliated grain product Mm. now now dude i know this question you're gonna you're gonna be able to answer do you know what tempeh is
0: tempeh yeah the it's like a a meat of a vegan type of meat correct
1: yeah, yeah, tempe is actually—it's um, not really
0: meat, but it's plant matter. No, yeah,
1: that, that's right. You know, tempe—tempe is actually cooked soybeans mm-hmm. with mycelium grown on it, mm. fungal mycelium. So it's 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 really kind of a cool product. It's it's uh, um, and, and it is like meat. You can—it's a cake. You slice it up. You can fry it. You can do all sorts of things with it. it it's really cool. Well, it's mostly soybeans. Mm-hmm. It does. It is knitted together with fungal mycelium, but it's mostly soybean. That's what these myceliated grain products are that they're selling wow. as mushroom. They are actually fungal tempeh because they are selling you the grain that that mycelium is grown on. And you're like, why are you selling me the grain? It is just basically grain powder, grain flour. That's horrible. I didn't ask for that. You're telling me it's a mushroom when it's not. So in my study, I did it in 2014, 2015, published Mm -hmm. it in a white paper. 40 of my samples were bought right off the internet of these products that were these myceliated grain products. Mm -hmm. Now with this Megazine test, it tells me the amount of beta-glucans and it tells me the amount of alpha glucans alpha glucans are the starches and alpha glucans can also be polysaccharides so um using that test i s- showed that mushrooms and mushroom extracts have 25 to 60 percent beta glucan and less than five percent alpha
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay mushrooms don't have starch for one do mm-hmm. not have starch these myceliated grain products, they were the exact opposite. They were like 5% beta glucan and 30 to 60% alpha glucan, which is the starch. Well, for me, obvious, okay, obvious, because it's mostly grain in these products. And though that grain powder is starch. Mm-hmm. So so essentially these products were the exact opposite of what you were looking for because what you want in a medicinal mushroom product you want beta glucans that's what makes mushrooms medicinal mm. that's the key compound in a mushroom so so here it is and I'm like wow and I present this to the industry in general and and look it changes the industry right away and now so many different companies understand this but <laughs> but these companies selling those product doesn't change them a bit they still are out there selling these things and the worst part about it is that if you look at the label of their product it's got a picture of a mushroom mm-hmm. and it's got oh a reishi mushroom a shiitake mushroom it's not mushroom (laughs) it is this myceliated grain product if you're lucky some of these companies you turn it over and they might say mycelium and in the other ingredients what we call the fine print it will say oh brown rice or oats or something like that but the fact is is that these products are actually mostly brown rice, mostly oats, and the amount of fungal matter is very small. And so we have a battery of tests that we use for all of our products. Our testing, because of our testing now, beta-glucans have become a standard in the industry. So if you're ever looking for a mushroom product, make sure that they are saying on the label X amount of beta-glucans on there because that's what you're looking for in a mushroom product and if it doesn't have it in there it's not a genuine mushroom product and the other thing to look out for which is really interesting is like a beta-glucan is a polysaccharide Mm -hmm. so so traditionally uh when they would measure mushroom products and even when i was measuring mushroom products back in the 90s it was all polysaccharides and and so uh, a lot of products back then that i was i was uh, um, testing from china were like really high in polysaccharide mm. and i think oh that's wonderful it wasn't wonderful because they could put in carrier materials which were polysaccharides so so a lot of Herbal extracts come on some kind of a carrier, and usually it's maltodextrin. It's a polysaccharide. So these these companies that are selling these so-called mushroom products Mm -hmm. will say, oh, our product has 40% polysaccharide or 50% polysaccharide. They don't say beta-glucan because they know their products are really low in beta-glucan, but they can say polysaccharide because their products are high in starch. Wow. Wow. And mushrooms don't have any starch, so it's just like, holy smokes, it's it's a classic kind of bait and switch, yeah. where they, if you go onto their websites, they're talking mushroom, mushroom, look at these pictures of mushrooms, look what we're growing, on and on and on. They're not growing or selling mushrooms, and it's just horrible to think about all the people that are buying these products thinking, oh yeah, I've got a great uh, uh, mushroom product here, and, and, and you know... Um, I have gone for a number of years uh, to a trade show called paleo FX. Mm -hmm. It's in uh, Austin, a really cool show. And you know, paleo people, they're like uh, um, carbohydrates. No, no grains, (laughs) no grains. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine no grains? And they come up to my booth and they're just like, ah, man, mushrooms. So cool. I love mushrooms. I'm taking this great mushroom supplement and I'm just like, Oh yeah, well, okay. What brand is it? Mm-hmm. They tell me the brand, and I'm just like, oh man, I hate to tell you this, but <laughs> that brand is mostly <laughs> starch, grain starch. Oh, and and they're they're just like shocked. And and I feel so sorry for them because there's so many people out there that have been fooled by this.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm I'm one of them. So not only is it not even actual a mushroom, it's mycelium, but it's uh also Diluted mycelium. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly, exactly. Because you know the thing about it is that they say, "Oh, you know these same come say, oh mycelium is is so great." There's all sorts of uh, uh, tests out there and research on there showing mycelium has medicinal properties. I'm going like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Pure mycelium. Sure. You're not selling mycelium. You're actually selling grain powder with some mycelium in there so all that research has nothing to do with the product you're selling.
0: Now, how much harder is it just to extract the mycelium itself as opposed to including the grain? I mean, so they're just grinding it it's to save time. Really, it's Well, no, no
1: ac- well no actually actually if you're growing out that mycelium on the grain, separating it out is next to impossible. Impossible. Okay. Yeah, and not only that, he- here's the thing is that when you actually look at that, you can readily see that it's maybe 10% mycelium and the rest is crane. Now, now here, here's the thing In, in, in China, they grow mycelium, pure mycelium in liquid culture in huge tanks. You can do that. You can grow pure mycelium. So they do that in China and they grow hundreds of tons of pure mycelium every year. Okay. So you can do it, but that takes a lot of infrastructure, and, and whereas growing out mycelium on grain in a, in a lab is cheap, it's easy, doesn't take that much of an investment, not at all like if you're trying to set up something like a fermentation uh, uh, process with all these tanks and, and some, some way of uh, heating the water and all the rest. I mean, it's a totally different and very expensive way to do it just to get set up. I so see. no, that pure mycelium is still good. Not nearly as good as the mushroom. The mushroom is really like a, it is a bio factory for interesting compounds. And, and you were, you were talking a little earlier about what actually the benefits that we're looking for in functional mushrooms. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, the very first benefit is going to be potentiation of the immune system. Mm. And man, who can't benefit from that
0: especially right now
1: especially right now yeah. oh my god and that's the thing that drives me over the wall because it's like why isn't anybody talking about prevention yes. why isn't anybody talking about take vitamin D everybody take a lot of vitamin D um if you're overweight well why don't you thin down because you're in danger here there are so many things yes. that you could be doing and look, for me, uh, functional mushrooms, the key there is prevention. That's what you're using them for. Mm. That's why. And that's how they've been used in China. They're basically preventive. It's, it's almost like taking a vitamin in a way. Sure. You know, I, I tell people, for one, I say, um, don't expect to see benefits immediately. Some people are like, OK, yeah, they do feel stuff immediately. But I say, look, no, they're working in the background. You may not notice this until maybe uh, a few months, maybe a year, and then you go, wow, I didn't get a cold this year, or I didn't get the flu, or I'm just not getting sick as much. Well, they're there. They're working in the background for you. And and that's, too, where I'm also telling people, eat mushrooms. Put mushrooms into your diet. Man, that is so important. I I really feel like mushroom is the forgotten food and the missing dietary link. Mm. This is something where, where all of the studies that have been done out in Asia, where they take uh, uh, let's say 30,000 people and they give them like, okay, what's your diet consist of? And they, they go through all of that and they come out and they go, God, the people that are eating mushrooms actually are living longer than the people who are not. And, and, I totally believe in that. Mm. Totally believe in that. I mean, I mean, look, I'm 100 years old. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: you do look great, though. How, have you been incorporating this in the vast majority of your adult life then, huh?
1: Oh, man, yes, absolutely. I mean, when I was at the Agaricus farm, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, the button mushroom, blah, blah, blah care i love the button mushroom i don't care what anybody says and i ate a ton of it and and really that you know and then got the shiitakes and the oysters i've been eating i've been eating mushrooms in my diet for 50 years in a major way yeah and and i i like i say i totally believe in the fact that mushrooms are a very very beneficial food and and the interesting part about it is when i started at the mushroom farm a a nutritionist classical nutritionist said i am mushrooms No food value. Uh, (laughs) They taste good, but there's no food value. And it's like, why do you say that? No calories. No calories, no food value. No, that was totally wrong. We know now. A good uh, amount of uh, protein, 20 to 40%, um, mostly carbohydrate, but good carbohydrates like mannitol, like trehalose, slow-acting carbohydrates. They're not starch. You know, Mm. starch boom, just like that, right? Right. No, no starch at all. This is like very slow acting carbs. And a lot of that too is fiber. And so high in fiber and the beta glucans are there in that fiber. So, so very good food, high quality food, uh, vitamin B1, 2 and 3, phosphorus, Mm. potassium, I recommend everybody get them into your diet before you even think about supplementation get mushrooms into your diet make it a main stay so that you're eating at three four five you know you know Garrett like I do how versatile mushrooms are Absolutely. right Absolutely,
0: they go with God, everything
1: everything there's nothing that you can't do with them it's an amazing amazing food so so you know for me step one <laughs> eat mushrooms step yes. two okay you want a supplement okay there's reishi that, if there's one mushroom you want to supplement with, reishi, absolutely. Okay. Because it's got these um, uh, reishi and turkey tail have the high hop <laughs> rye. Right, yeah. It's got the real yeah. mushrooms, reishi, that's,
0: full fruit bodies here.
1: That's, yeah, that's Not the real real thing. Right. Yeah. And and so reishi and turkey tail actually have the highest levels of beta-glucans in our testing. Mm-hmm amazing that that's the case because reishi is considered to be like one of the top mushrooms, uh, uh, functional mushrooms out there. Great mushroom. It also has these bitter compounds called triterpenoids okay. that are very good for liver function. Mm. In fact, at one of the conferences I went to in the, in the, um, nineties, uh, it was a reishi conference in China. I spoke with a traditional Chinese medicine doctor there, and he told me that reishi was his number one herb for the liver. Mm. Wow that is that's saying something right yeah. number one herb for the liver damn and and you know how important the liver is man so so um and then other mushrooms that i say that are sort of in the category of being very powerful immunological uh potentiators would be uh my talkie would be she talkie would be turkey tail and then there are the other ones that are in kind of a different class like lion's mane Mm. you've probably never heard of lion's mane right
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's got a nootropic value correct
1: yeah i know i know lion's mane it's so funny um it's it's such an interesting mushroom and and kind of was an outlier for years and years and years like i i we didn't sell hardly any lion's mane at all six years ago and then all of a sudden this nootropic category came up sure and lion's mane filtered up into that and everybody's like oh my god something that helps my cognition i want it and today lion's mane is our top selling product interesting everybody in the world wants lion's mane and six years ago i probably sold uh 100 kilos in bulk of lion's mane. And last year I think we sold ten tons. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm not kidding. It's just insane. Uh and and lions so lion's mane has these uh, um compounds in it called uh and erinosines that will stimulate what's called nerve growth factor. Okay. Nerve growth factor is what we produce to actually stimulate the production of neurons as well as help to organize them and and um so that particular benefit is something that, well, it's there's scientific uh, clinical trials that have demonstrate that it has this kind of activity, and that's one of the things that's really missing for the herbal industry in general, or clinical trials because everybody's like, oh mm. well, unless there's a clinical trial, it's all anecdotal information. Well, right. true, true enough, uh, but nobody wants to really do the kind of, you know,, takes a lot of money to do yeah. clinical trials so it's very difficult but uh, otherwise there's good information out there good research on it that seems to demonstrate that yes in fact it does have this activity which is which is great I mean they've used it in some uh, cases for early onset dementia wow um, and, and and just basic overall memory types of issues and look everybody, could use help with their memory especially as you get older you're like what'd you say your name was again i forget (laughs) you know it's like god wow why can't i why can't i remember that word or or whatever it is right and so so anything that can can help with memory is is really something good so lion's mane kind of fits into that category and then there's cordyceps Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you ever seen the wild cordyceps i haven't Oh damn! It is so cool. The wild cordyceps, the one that's been used, you know, primarily as the traditional cordyceps, is called caterpillar fungus. Okay. This little fungus grows on a caterpillar. I have
0: to look. So the
1: so the caterpillar in the in the winter, uh, as winter approaches, it burrows down into the soil and hibernates. And while it's down there over the winter, while it's down there, spores of cordyceps. That are there in the soil will germinate on it and consume the whole insides of this caterpillar. Oh my god! <laughs> wow,
0: it's a carnivorous <laughs> carnivorous <laughs> fungus. <laughs>
1: yes, 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 exactly. You know, wow. and, and so so then in the summer, uh, up comes this little cordyceps, which is like a blade of grass. So they call this this uh, herb in China. They call it winter worm summer grass and so mm. what they will sell uh in china there is they will sell the whole thing caterpillar and all <laughs> wow now now garrett think about this for a second i'm i'm at one of the trade shows and i've got a small little baggie of these things and i'm, I'm going around <laughs> hey have you ever heard of cordyceps <laughs> and they and i'm showing them that and they look at it and they go um Wow, a caterpillar? Oh, yeah, well, that's part of the actual herb. Well, you know, my my uh, customers are mostly vegetarians. <laughs> and also, I don't think they want to eat caterpillars. And it's like, okay, I get it. Hard sell here. <laughs> Today, we actually cultivate cordyceps, and it's a different species called cordyceps militaris. Okay, Awesome. And we can cultivate it. And and that wildcrafted cordyceps is today fifteen thousand dollars for a dried kilogram. Wow. Nobody can afford that. My God. Back back when I was first introducing it, it was like a thousand dollars a kilogram, which was still a lot of money yeah. in the supplement world. So today, I mean, they ultimately learned how to grow cordyceps. So they were growing like tons of Actual real cordyceps without any insects involved. So it's like, here's your cordyceps. No insects need to be consumed. <laughs> <laughs> so so, and, and cordyceps was used traditionally for fatigue, for okay. uh, lack of energy. Uh, somebody's got a a uh, illness. They're they're coming out of it, but they just can't make it over the hump. That's when they would prescribe cordyceps to people. Okay, but today it's used a lot. With companies that are putting it out for uh, um, energy, mm-hmm. for athletic kind of products, um, that's kind of where the primary use is today. But but it's also got all of these ones, lion's mane, uh, cordyceps. They still have those benefits of the the beta glucans as well. So they will still have the immunological activities. And those beta glucans and their activities, it's so broad spectrum. I mean, that alone just makes them like a power food and a power herb. I mean it's just amazing the benefits that you're getting them now finally we've got Chaga hmm. which we, we you and I talked about a little bit earlier and how what a this gnarly looking growth that comes off a tree yes. and and you know it's funny because if you go out on the internet it's like chaga the king of mushrooms. <laughs> There's nothing it can't do. What do you have? It'll cure it. Yeah. Okay. What about this? It'll cure it. And I'm just like, oh my god, please shut up. This is not <laughs> good. This is not true. It's not the king. <laughs> you know, maybe it's a prince. I don't know, but it's not the king of mushrooms. And it's not a panacea. Mm. You know, you know how certain things get sold as panaceas. It does everything, and you're just like. Huh. This sounds kind of like marketing. Speech, Turns into right?
0: pseudoscience.
1: Oh God, it's just horrible. Chaga is is very good for people with um, stomach issues. Yes. Um, they've used it traditionally as a folk remedy for cancers in Russia. I don't. I don't say that's that's something you should use it for necessarily. If that's what you've got, but. Uh, certainly for stomach issues, I, I think, mm. man, that's what you should try. Try chaga, see whether it helps you with IBD or or Crohn's or something like that. Maybe maybe chaga would work for for you. But but that's really where chaga fits in. And you know, it, it's one of those things too where I'm like, huh, the king? Huh. Well, let's see. In my career, I've I've met four different king of mushrooms out there. <laughs> <laughs> in, literally in the '70s. There's a the book written shiitake, king of mushrooms. Wow. And then in the nineties, all of a sudden people are like reishi king of mushrooms. And then in the late nineties, it was like my talkie king of mushrooms. I was like, why do we always have to have royalty involved? Anyway, come <laughs> on. Wow.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it's this an interesting trip, Jeff. What I'm hearing and my takeaway is like for whole body, soul, wellness there's a vast different uh, an array of different kinds of mushrooms that you can incorporate to really achieve that whole wellness with the psilocybin for the spirit and you know the chaga and all all these the lion's mane for the mind and the cordyceps it it sounds like uh by incorporating all of these you can really achieve whole wellness
1: well i think it's definitely a part of that for sure And, and look let's be clear here like i believe that the foundation for our health is diet
0: yes you've
1: gotta have a good diet you've got to stop shopping in the middle shelves Mm. of of the supermarkets right it's just like don't go in there unless like me you go in you get a a can of black tomato uh black olives or something you know or or some salsa or something like that but otherwise look processed foods stay away from them uh, you have to be active. Yes. You, you have to exercise. I mean, there's so many parts of wellness out there, but diet is important, and having the right foods in your diet is super important. And, and you know, the other thing about it is, too, is like all of our mushrooms are grown uh, uh, organically certified, and I consider that to be super important as well. We don't want to be consuming chemicals that we have no idea what the long-term effects of those are going to be. Right. And we live in a world today where who knows what we're getting when we're eating these different foods and vegetables and fruits. Who knows? I mean, it's just it's just crazy. So we're certified organic. I totally believe in that. We have high-quality German certifiers that certify all of our mushrooms in China. They're grown way back in the mountains uh, in really interesting outback areas. I mean, to get to them is quite a trip to get back there. And, and the growers that I work with are just amazing people. I mean, God, you, you look at these Chinese farmers, a lot of them using methods and techniques that have been developed over thousands of years. And it is just fascinating to see that, how they're growing their rice and other vegetables and mushrooms. I mean, it's just amazing. And these are really people that are absolutely rooted in the soil.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. I guess what I should have said is that they can be incorporated into the path of whole wellness because you definitely have work to do for sure. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> There's plenty yeah. of things that we need to do to get there. But it, that, that I've been blown away by this conversation, Jeff. It's been. Incredibly educational. You are a, a very inspiring and an excellent speaker and presenter, man. Uh, I'm in so incredibly grateful. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, hey, you're you're very welcome. It's been my pleasure to uh, be here with you.
0: Yeah, this is going to be an episode that I'm going to listen back on and and take notes. And uh, you know, your book and your supplement company. I'm I'm you know subscribing now. I've got the uh, the five defenders here. And uh, now, this is you and your son, correct?
1: Yeah, well, well, um, yeah, um, my eldest son approached me about six or seven years ago, and he and he said, "Hey, look, uh, I'm you know, at that time he had a company selling iPhone cases." And, and I've always, I was always kind of like, okay, dude, that's great. But iPhone cases, really <laughs> you, 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 and how many other people, right. <laughs> and, you know, and he said, you know, look, I'd love to come into, to Namex and, and, and work Namex. And, and what I would really like to do is create a, a retail line. Mm. And I just went, oh man, this is so wonderful come on in and and in 2014 he went to china with me for the first time introduced him to everything that was going on over there and then uh he and i started and and we worked on getting this uh, um line of uh, retail products up and going but it's been his baby and he's really made it happen in a big way and it's just so gratifying for me and then my yeah. my second son uh, in 2018 who was a um Uh, a photographer and surf videographer came to me and said, Hey, you know, I'm kind of ready to leave that. And can I get in too? And I'm like, dude, you bet. So both of them work for me now. And it's just such a wonderful thing. I mean, it's just fantastic.
0: What better of a bond than to pass on your way of living on to them. And you guys are doing a huge service to the world. So I I'm very grateful that you exist and that you guys have taken this journey and uh, really look forward to seeing what becomes of it. I as I've subscribed, I get these emails with a once a week. I get a text that uh, gives me an interesting fact about mushrooms. Uh, you know, I get these very cool personalized emails and uh, all these interesting facts. And it's uh, been fascinating to me, you know, so this whole door has opened up for me. And I'm hoping that that's what we can do with this episode is really get more people interested into this subject.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Because again, I I really feel that mushrooms, like I say, they're the missing link. Yes, And that's what, you know, people in Asia have known about mushrooms and have had Mm -hmm. them in their diet for thousands of years. We're just catching up. So that's part of what's happening right now. You know, it's just like with the the uh, psilocybin mushrooms. We're just catching up, you know. In a way, I like to look at things and I say, "Hey, we're going back to the future." Right. Right.
0: Yeah, and a lot of this stuff got was cutting edge at one time, even in your lifetime, and then got shut down. Yes, exactly. So we're catching That's up again.
1: Absolutely. With the psilocybin, we are. in particular. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So it's very gratifying to me, and and uh, again, mushrooms have been a, a big part of my life, and I really truly believe in their benefits
0: yes now where can people find a uh, contact or are you on social media and and your websites well, let's plug those well in.
1: well uh, namex.com n-a-m-m-e-x.com and that is the uh, wholesale end of the business and look we've got lots of Slideshows there that show how we grow our mushrooms, where other information. We got a lot of educational information there, and also you can go to realmushrooms.com, and that's the retail side of the business. And there's also just a ton of great information there. So, educationally, please come for that information because it's really great. And, and real mushrooms.com has got all the uh, social media and they've got their okay. in- Instagram and, and everything like that. And, um, so, so yes, definitely come to the websites and check it out.
0: Great. I will plug those in the description of the episode as well. And it'll be able to be found on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is, people get their podcasts. Thank you so much, Jeff.
1: Garrett, it's really been a pleasure, and uh, man, that's a interesting-looking cactus
0: back there. Oh, yeah, we've got <laughs> the Lofofora freesii's here. That's my, one of my favorite. It's actually uh, a less active version of the peyote cactus. It's, it's um, not as active as the Williams EI, but in my opinion, it's the more beautiful... A variety and it's got some pups coming out of it and then this is like a mammal area i've got a whole hoop house out in the yard full of cactus and i got house plants and then i've got my little mushroom grow to where i'm experimenting so awesome it's cool awesome. man it's been a yeah. beautiful experience
1: yeah absolutely
0: yes all right everybody jeff chilton if everyone could please like review and subscribe to the podcast and hit that share button i would appreciate that have a great day Bye.